You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Church in Huntsville, Ontario. Harvest Church is a community that exists to love God, love people, and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at myharvestchurch.ca. He is worthy, isn't he? He's worthy of our Sunday morning to stand and and sing, oh man, what a blessing to hear you, you young people sing. Um, you bless my heart. It's amazing. Uh, I'm, I'm so jealous uh, of a team like that. It's just crazy amazing. Um, these ladies singing, it's just, and, and the guitarist and bass players, it's just a talent kind of kind of oozes out of them. It's so wonderful to see. Um, but he's worthy beyond Sunday morning, standing here, lifting our hands to praise. Uh, he's worthy of Monday morning too, isn't he? Um, he's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of every ounce of who we are. Um, he's worthy of us leaving family and, um, and adopting a new family. Uh, 28 years ago, my wife and I uh, heard the call of God to, uh, to, to move to Alberta and work with our First Nations people. In moving, uh, I told the story, I think, the other night with our youth that um, I can remember so vividly when we pulled out of the driveway the last time that, that we were at home as we're moving our stuff to, to Alberta. I remember... I remember looking in, in the rearview mirror and seeing my mother um, weeping and my dad holding her up as we drove away. Um, my children grew up without their grandparents for the most part. They got to see them maybe once a year for Christmas if we were lucky. Um, he's worthy of that. Um, he's worthy of going into a, a community that uh, that doesn't know you, and a community that sees you as an outsider, uh, and doing all that you can to invest in them, whether it's hunting or digging sewers or uh, going fishing or standing up, staying up with them late at night, doing funeral after funeral. Uh, he's worthy of those kinds of things. Um, that's, that's what we did. We moved from Tennessee in, in 1995, and um, we moved because we had a passion for children, native children especially. We started our first camp in August of 95 with nine children uh, from Pecunny Reserve, uh, and we've been doing that now for, this will be our 28th year of doing camp. Um, we have a passion to build relationships and those relationships then build the trust for us to be able to speak the gospel into the lives of the people that we've come. They've heard so much negativity about Jesus and about church and about Christianity. Everything that they've heard, everything they've experienced in the past has been a negative experience when it comes to Jesus. And so our, our, our job most of the time, and we emphasize this with our teens when they come, is just to build relationship. And that's why we're encouraging uh, Marshall and Kai to, to have a multi-year relationship with us as we move forward. 
so that the kids see uh, that they got somebody they can trust. And then they'll listen to what you have to say. Their families will listen to what you have to say. Uh, out of that birth, what we call now Camp Nakuai, that is Blackfoot for my home. Short story, we're sitting on a table, at, at uh, three kids are sitting on a table at the camp, and, and I walk by, it's Friday, they're going home, it's the day to go home. And uh, these three teenagers are sitting there, and Mary says to me, Donnie, we're mad at you. And I'm like, why are you mad at me? What did I do now? And uh, you're making us go home. And I'm like, what do you mean? Do you mean if we had camp for two weeks, you'd stay the whole time? And Conan piped up and says, uh, Donnie, man, you don't understand, man. Uh, when I'm here, this is my home, man. This is my home. And uh, we uh, shared that story with uh, some of our native elders and friends there. And, um, and so they prayed and came up with, a, with the name Camp Nukuai. Uh, Nukuai is the Blackfoot way to say it. And uh, Nukuai is, is, means my home. And uh, that's what we want. In building these relationships with these children, we want them to experience a place that, that, that's safe, a place that's free, a place that's full of love, that's free of abuse, that's free of wickedness that they experience so much. We want them to have that place where they can say, Ah, I'm home. I'm home. And now we have a place God, after uh, 28 years, 26 years, God supplied us with a place to have as our own to call home. We, we were in one place for 18 years. We bounced around as nomads for uh, about 10 years. And then uh, just recently, in the last two years, God has given us a place uh, in the mountains, right below Table Mountain. Those that were with us uh, will remember the, the view um, Table Mountain, Beaver, Beaver Mines Lake. Um, it's a beautiful place, and God has miraculously provided for us there uh, a relationship with a business and a businessman. That the, the the guy that owns the place is the guy who started Sport Check, and uh, and so he's not a believer, far from it. But somehow God laid on his heart to have some compassion for us, and uh, it's provided a way for us to have camp uh, at his property. Um. So we have opportunities for you. If you would like to come and help, then you speak to Marshall or you speak to Pastor Kai, uh, speak to Chloe, uh, any of the young people that were there this summer. Talk to them. Uh, we, we have a place for you to serve. And there's a lot of ways that you can serve with us. Obviously, there's always financial assistance. We have projects that are on the go. Uh, we have things that, that we're going to have to be doing in the next couple of years that are going to cost us money. And uh, we don't make a whole lot of money. Uh, matter of fact, we make none. Uh, we, we depend solely on donations. Uh, we were telling somebody the other day that uh, there's typically about a 20 to 25% no pay rate when we charge kids. And we only charge kids $175 for a, a week of camp, a full week of camp. And that includes a T-shirt. Uh, uh, we have opportunities for you besides finances. We, we have service teams. That's construction. Uh, in some of those projects that we have, we have prep week before camp starts that we need to, to mow grass and get things settled up. Um, we have dish teams. That's a new one this year. Uh, Bruce has encouraged us to come up with that. Uh, it's dish teams. We need cooking teams. Uh, we need a maintenance person that could come along and, and fix 
pumps when they blow up in the middle of camp instead of me. Uh, we need camp leaders. Uh, Marietta, uh, Jim uh, is from the Harvest family, and what a blessing they were. And then, of course, we have our Ontario directors, Bruce and Lisa Coles. Um, and you've also sent to us uh, John and Chantel Wilkie. And uh, what a blessing they have been. Uh, just jumped right in. They, they, like us, drove away from their home. And uh, I pray that uh, their experiences, when they look back 20, 28 years from now, they'll go, he was worth it. So there's lots of opportunity for you to, to be involved. If you'd like to be involved, then I would encourage you to, uh, to see Marshall or see Kai and, and, uh, and let them know that you're, you're thinking about it. And uh, we'll get in touch and uh, let you know what we can do. Now, enough about that. Can we now forget about all that and step back for a moment? <laughs> no, Lisa says that the Ontario director says, no, you can't forget about it. Yes, we can for a moment. Let, let's pull back from all of that stuff and everything else and let's, let's together make much of Jesus. Can we do that? Um, he's the reason why we're here. At least he ought to be. Um, I believe that uh, in these next few moments, not because I'm speaking, uh, but because we are looking into the Word of God, uh, I believe this to be the most important part of the day. Um, as God uh, seeks to reveal Himself in Scripture. Here's what I would ask you to do. Uh, I'm going to pray in a moment, and I would ask you to pray. And that you would pray like me, that you would pray, God... Um, what do you want to say to me? And I don't want to leave here the same. I don't want to leave here with the same perspective that I had coming in. I don't want to leave here with the same junk that I had coming in. Uh, Lord, speak to me. Would you, would you pray that with me? Let's pray together. Father, oh, you are worthy you're worthy of all of our praise and all of our lives. Every ounce of our energy, you are worthy. You have proved yourself over and over and over again in our lives. We see it over and over again in your word. And uh, you're worthy. Thank you uh, that your heart is for us. Thank you that, that you desire us that your desire is for us, that uh, you do not leave us to ourselves and to our sin and to our hurt, uh, that you are seeking us out. I pray this morning, Father, as we look into your word, that uh, there may be some here that have come and don't know who you are. They've never made a commitment to you. I pray that you would speak loudly uh, and clearly to their hearts. For those that have come here today carrying baggage, shame, um, things that uh, are heavy to bear, I pray, Father, may they see a pursuing Savior. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak now. That uh, we, you move Donnie out of the way and just let your Holy Spirit speak to us. Um, May I speak your words, your heart, your emotions, everything that comes, may it be completely from you. Remove all pride. 
um, all fear, just remove it all. Um, and may your Holy Spirit reign in the words that we say and in the words that we hear and how we react to them. We pray these things in the powerful, matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Chloe, thank you for reading that scripture. That was a lot for me to read, so I'm glad somebody else had to do it. Uh, let me introduce you to uh, John chapter 4 first, and I think you had somebody preach on this uh, uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but John chapter 3, love this. As a matter of fact, this was my text, part of my text for my sermon last week at church. As we're talking about dying to self, um, a consideration for you to think about. Do you, are you in self-denial more are you in self-defense more? See, John, John knew his purpose. And this is the beautiful thing about, about the scriptures. Uh, John knew his purpose. John the Baptist knew his purpose. His purpose was to be before, before Jesus. His purpose was to prepare the way for Jesus. He knew that. John chapter 1, verse 16 through 18, 19 through uh, 21, 26. Tell us all of the... He knew what he was there for. I am not the Christ. That's what John... John had a purpose. And his purpose was to put Jesus in, pre, in his preeminent position. He must be first... And that was, his, that was his whole life was to put Jesus first. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 3, if you read verse 30, he says, He must increase, I must decrease. His whole purpose in existence was to put Jesus in his place of preeminence. My question to you and I is, are we doing that in our lives? Do we put Jesus where he belongs? In my ministry, in my family, in my job, in my church, in my marriage? Do I put Jesus in that place? Do I put him first? Does he increase and I decrease? Do I take him from back here where we often have him and put him up here where he belongs? Is that where I put him? Uh, that's the way we end John chapter 3. He must increase, I must decrease. What was the ultimate end of John? Do you remember? Uh, this one says that he was not yet in prison. He was imprisoned and eventually had his head cut off. And Jesus was first. Um, then we end chapter 3, uh, John chapter 3, with these words. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. Now, part of the problem that was happening in John chapter 3 was that, that Jesus had now become prominent on the scene. The disciples of John were leaving John and going to Jesus. Jesus was gaining more and more disciples. Uh, he's baptizing. His team now is baptizing. John's disciples are jealous of this success. They're, they're bothered by this. And so they come to John and say, what's the deal? And that's when he says, he must increase and I must decrease. Now, in John chapter 4, you see there in, in verse 1 that now Jesus comes to understand that the Pharisees are upset with this. They're upset that, that Jesus is, is gaining disciples, that they're more and more following him. And then it gives us this idea that Jesus left Judea to go to Galilee because 
of uh, this jealousy of the Pharisees. I, I'd like to suggest to you that I believe that Jesus has purpose in what he does. Jesus is everything that the sovereign Savior does is done with purpose. Remember that in your life. Jesus did not leave because of fear of the, of the Pharisees. He didn't leave because he was afraid they were going to come and get him. He's, he knows his time has not yet come. All things have been put in his hands. He is not leaving out of fear. He is leaving in purpose, on purpose, with purpose, in purpose, he is leaving. My time has not yet come. I believe that that is one of the reasons why that you have these first two or three verses in John, John 4. Is he's leaving because he has his time has not come. But I believe that there is more to the story than just verses 1 through 3. Then we get to verse 4. Look at verse 4 with me. But he needed to go through Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria. God, God does not do anything ever. There's not the smallest action of God that is not done with purpose and done with eternal purpose. Your God, your sovereign Savior, your seeking Savior is coming after you with purpose. He has found you with purpose. He has saved you for purpose. And you are to live with that purpose in your life. Now, I just recently, we had a death of a young person in our church. He was 18. He had a motorcycle, motocross crash and and uh, had the serious injuries and eventually died from his injuries. Um, there were thousands of people, thousands of people across the world that were praying for him. That's one of the advantages of social media today. Uh, but he had thousands of people praying across the, 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 the nation and the world uh, for Jason. Jason didn't make it. And when I got home from Ukraine, I started listening to what people were saying. Why did, why did God say no? Why didn't God answer? Why didn't God answer our prayers? And, and as I began to try to peel that apart and look at it so that I had some kind of answer for people, I, I, I had to say um, that God does everything with purpose. Your sovereign God sees everything that we don't. Would you agree? That he sees the things going into the event that is taking place. He sees all of the things that are coming out of the event for eternity. And we sometimes see one or two things, maybe if we're lucky. But God sees it all, everything coming in and everything going out. Your God does everything he does with purpose because he sees it all. That's what it means to be sovereign. God is sovereign. And there is nothing that is happening or has happened in your life that the sovereign God does not know about, understand, and is working through that in your life to bring about his glory. Now, I believe that Jesus needed to go through Samaria because it was his purpose. Um, 
If you, if you look at that word needed, he must, he had to. It, it has this idea of, of a, a binding necessity. In other words, an inward, internal constraint. He had to go through Samaria. Why did he have to go through Samaria? He had a purpose to go through there. Look, he could have gone around the Transjordan. He could have gone out to the Jordan and, and taken twice as long, twice as hot, and twice as dusty, could have gone by the sea, but he chose to go through this area. Look, I do not believe that this is a geographical thing. I don't believe Jesus got on Google Maps, ancient Google Maps, and said, what's the shortest route to Galilee? Uh, I believe that Jesus had to go. This is not about geography. It's about purpose. And he had to go through Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria. And I believe that his purpose was multifaceted. Just like we talked about, the purpose of God is, is beyond what we can see. It's multifaceted. And here, it's about the woman, it's about the disciples, it's about the people of Samaria, and about the people of Sychar. It, it's about them. His purpose. Remember that you are here this morning hearing these words because of the purpose of God. Um. Jesus had a date. He had a date at the well. He was not moved by the evil desires of the Pharisees, uh, their jealousies. He wasn't moved by that. Uh, he didn't go to Samaria because it was the shortest route. He went this way because he had a divine purpose in going to Samaria. And his divine purpose was a woman. I want us to see that not only does he have a purpose, but, but Christ has a relentless pursuit of his people. A relentless pursuit. I want us to see in these verses the purposeful pursuit of Jesus for this lady. He would have her reconciled to God. Do you understand that statement? Here's the purpose. The purpose is this woman needed to be reconciled to God. He would have her reconciled to God. And therefore, he had to go to Samaria that he might pursue this woman. Um, look at verse 23. Chapter 4, verse 23. Now we're going to skip here and there through these verses, and Kai's going to come back and clean up the mess. Um, it's the only way I can get through 42 verses. Um, but look what it says. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Catch this next part. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. The Father is seeking. That is not talking about aimlessly looking around, trying to find something. This is talking about seeking with purpose. It is deliberately pursuing after to go in search of. Now, look at, think about it for a moment. That, that the Father is seeking people like me and you. People who are, who are sinners, 
who are full of ugliness, anger, jealousy, rage, fear. He is seeking people like us to worship him. Oh, I would love to sit right there, but I can't because I'm running out of time already. Um, Luke 19. I don't know if you remember the story of, of Zacchaeus. Jesus is, is walking through, and here's Zacchaeus, a little guy, and he climbs up the tree to see Jesus. Jesus comes straight to the tree, and Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm coming to your house today. Do you see it? He sought Zacchaeus. Was Zacchaeus a great guy? Oh, no. He was a tax collector. He was not a good guy. Nobody likes Zacchaeus. Why is he going into his house? But he was pursuing Zacchaeus. And look what it says. If you look at that in verse 10, I think it's Luke 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those that were lost. He's seeking after you this morning. He's seeking you. He is relentless in his pursuit of you. But let's look at the text and see who he was seeking on this day. On this day, he was seeking a woman who was a Samaritan of ill repute. Now, what does that mean to us? Um, go to verse 5, and let's just see the, the relentless pursuit of Christ. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of the ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And now Jacob was there. Jesus, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the six hours, about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. This woman that we're introduced here, if you continue in the text, you will find out more details. But here is a woman who is a Samaritan. What's the problem? What's the problem with a Samaritan? Well, the problem is, is that the Jews despised Samaritans. If you want to understand why they despised the Samaritans, just read 2 Kings chapter 17. You can begin to get a little bit of history, do your references, and you'll find out the rest of it. But 2 Kings 17 talks about the Assyrians coming in. It's about 722 B.C. They're coming in, and, and they uh, send all the, they export the Israelites. They leave kind of the... The, the poor and the impoverished, and then they send in Assyrians, foreigners, who then intermarry with the Israelites that were left, and then you have now an impure race. They are no longer a pure race of Israelites. Later on, they build a temple on Mount Gerizim. Um, all of these things work together to say, these people are spiritual heretics. They only believe the Pentateuch. They do not believe in the prophets. They do not believe in the, in the, in the wisdom. They don't believe in the Psalms. They only believe in the Pentateuch. They, they are heretics. They are half-breeds. They are unwanted, unneeded. They are hated and despised by the Jews. And not only has she got this against her, but she is also an adulteress. 
She is a woman, if you look in verse 16 through 18, you find that she's a woman who's had five husbands, and the man she's living with now is not her husband. Bad stuff. Do you think she had a reputation in Sychar? She probably had a pretty good reputation, or a pretty bad reputation in Sychar. Do you, and here's Jesus, in his relentless pursuit of this woman... Here's Jesus who, who breaks all the, the Jewish norms. Everything that he's supposed to do, he doesn't do. He goes to this well of the Samaritans, on Samaritan land. He sends his disciples away. That's an interesting thought. He sends all of the disciples away. And he's left alone at the Samaritan well, and he sits on the well, or nearby the well, in plain sight. And when the woman comes with her water pot, a woman who is a Samaritan, and a woman who is an adulteress five times over and living with somebody now, he engages He speaks. (gasps) You can't do that. Even she knew that he was not supposed to do that. She says, you you can't ask me that. I want you to notice what Jesus did, what he asked for. Did he ask her if he could drink from the well? Or did he ask her if he could drink from her pot? He said to the Samaritan woman, will you give me a drink? I grew up in the South. I have grandparents, had grandparents, who had uh, never broken free of segregation. I know that you probably don't understand it living here. But there, Kai's... We were just talking about some memories there yesterday about uh, being in the housing project. Um, It was a bad place to be in those days if you were black. I mean, they had, they had, my my grandparents, uh, my brother and sister had had a a couple that were, they were friends with. They were black people. (gasps) And my grandparents used to sit out on their porch in Georgia, Lafette, Georgia. They sat out on their front porch on their little rocking chairs. And they would watch traffic drive by their house. And my brother and sister-in-law drove by their house with black people in the car. It became this huge family scandal. See, black people back in the 50s and the 60s were segregated from us white people. They had, they had different buses. They had different restaurants. They had different water fountains. I looked it up this last couple of weeks trying to, to, to understand a little more about it. White people, if, if, if you were seen going to the colored water fountain, that's what they did. There were water fountains that were labeled colored And they were just basic water fountains. And the ones that were labeled white were the ones that had cold water coming out of them. They were the fancy water fountains. Here's just a little thing you turn. It's got the water comes out like you get it. It used to get at school. I don't know if they have nice water fountains at school now. But 
um, was nothing fancy. Colored whites. And Jesus is going to the colored water fountain. Think about that. Jesus is breaking all of those norms. She's saying, you can't ask me that. Look what she says in verse 9. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, I believe that that word, as I study and try to understand, that word, no dealings, I, I, I think can be better translated share in common. It, it, at least here. She's saying, Jews don't share our water pots. Jews don't drink from the same cup that we drink from. You can't ask that question. You can't ask me for a drink because that is not supposed to happen. You can't ask me to drink from my water pot. Um, Jesus broke all of the norms in this instant to pursue this woman. I want you to know and hear me say this. Hear Jesus say this today. That no matter how you end up here today, I don't care if you are the abused. Someone has done you wrong. Sexually, physically, emotionally, someone has done you wrong. Your Savior has sent you here this morning to hear what He has to say. I don't care. The abused... And the abuser. Maybe you showed up this morning and you are the abuser. I want you to know that your Savior is seeking you. Relentlessly seeking you this morning. I don't care if you're the one that's been gossiped about. He's seeking you. He's he's pursuing you. I don't care if you're the one who's done the gossiping. He is seeking you. You think that you came here today because somebody invited you. You got up this morning because your alarm went off. And you know, I just, you know what, today I just need to go to church. You think you're here by your own volition, but I want you to know that many of you are here because the purpose of God is to seek you out. You're here listening this morning because the Savior is pursuing you. I heard this last week, the story of Dave and Sula and Anna. Oh, God sought them, and it wasn't in church. It didn't happen here. It happened in their home. On their own, God pursued them. The the sovereign Savior pursued that family and found them. And God is still in the business of seeking He's still seeking, and he is seeking you today. He's here calling to you. Young people, listen. No matter what the world tells you, you have a real Savior 
that is seeking to bring you back into reconciliation to God. It is His desire and His design to do so. I better hurry. Oh yeah, I better hurry. Jesus, not only is Jesus moved with purpose, not only does He purposely pursue us, but He is also preeminent over anything. Remember when we started, we talked about putting Him in His place of preeminence, in His place of prominence. He is preeminent over everything. Look at verse 10. Jesus says, answered her and said to her, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He would have given... You see how Jesus now moves to eternal things? He moves from racial and religious things to eternal things. I'm here. I've engaged you. I'm talking to you. I'm, I need a drink from your pot. Now let's talk about eternal life. Let's talk about reconciliation to God. If you knew who it is who's standing here asking you to drink, you would have asked him for water. And he would have given you that water that's a living water. Um, look at verse 11. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. You don't have a bucket. You don't have a water pot. How in the world are you going to get water out of there if you don't have a water bucket? She wasn't getting it. Her eyes were still blind to what Jesus was saying. How many times do we speak to people the gospel the good news of Jesus, and they just can't see it. They can't see beyond, you don't have a bucket. See, I'll tell you a story about my son. I had a 30-year-old son who has never in all of his life showed an interest in Jesus. I remember when he was young, we were driving down the highway, and, and uh, I was sharing the gospel with my son. He's probably 10, 11 years old, and sharing the gospel with him. And I said, son, uh, would you like to do this? And he looked at me across the at 10, 11-year-old, and said, no, I don't think so. He's always been that way. Easter last year, he showed up to church. And he stayed in the service, squirming, and miserable. I don't remember what it was I said, but I said something from the pulpit. And the next thing you know, my son jumped up, weeping. And he bust through those doors in the back and ran outside in the backyard. He can't see. He sees, but he can't see. That's this woman and is that you today? Did you come here today, hear the call, the, see the pursuit of the Savior, and still can't see it? May God remove the blinders from your eyes that you might be able to see. You can see this pursuing Savior. Um, this woman then says to her, to Jesus, what are you, are you, look at, look at verse 12. 
Are you greater than our father Jacob? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? In other words, she's saying, are, are, are you more important? Are you, are you superior? Are you preeminent over our, our father Jacob? And Jesus has no problem answering this question, does he? No problem whatsoever. Oh, if you only knew the kind of water I'm offering to you. And he goes through and he tells us about the kind of water that he offers. Look at that water. If you knew the gift of God, who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It is the gift of God. It is not something you buy, you earn, you get. It is the gift of God given to you. And not, it is the gift of God of living water. Water that is alive. Spiritual water that brings you life. Jesus said, I have not come that they might, I've come that they might have life and that they might have it what? More abundantly. That it might spring up. That it might well up and leap up inside of you through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he says this water, verse 13, whoever drinks of this water, that is this water in Jacob's well, will thirst again. Stop for a moment. Let me tell you, let's, let's think about Jacob's well. Jacob's well has always been there, been passed down from generations. We've always been able to go to it and get what we need out of it. But Jesus is saying, there's a different well. I am the well that's springing up with living water. Let me ask you a question. What well are you drinking from? Are you drinking from Jacob's well? See, if Jacob's well, today, think about it for a moment. Let's do some application. Jacob's well, your drugs, your alcohol, your gambling, your pornography, your food, your sexual needs, your husband, your wife, your job, your entertainment, your gym. Jacob's well. We constantly go there. And when we go there, we still are thirsty. There's no gym that can make you look muscly enough to rid you of your thirst. There is no drug that can take you away from reality enough there's no woman or man, husband or wife that you can go to that will satisfy the thirst that you have inside. And yet we continue to go back to the well, back to the well. Jesus says, whoever drinks of this well will thirst again. You're going to be thirsty if you drink from this water. But you take the gift of God who gives living water, and then you will never, look what he says, you will never thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The reason why we're never thirsty is because we're always there available with the well that now is springing up. It, it, it has this idea of, of jumping and leaping and it, it welling up, springing up inside. I think it's John chapter 7 that teaches us that that's the Holy Spirit. 
But we have the Holy Spirit. We never, look, you'll never have to turn back to those things at Jacob's well. You'll never have to turn to that because you are now living in a, in a, in a well that leaps up inside of you and supplies your every need. Yes, Jesus is greater. He even says so in verse 25 and 26. Look at that. He says, uh, verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am. I am he. He had no problem telling her, yes, I am greater. He is preeminent. And I want you to know that Jesus is better than all the things that we seek to satisfy that longing in our soul. He is better than all of that. He is greater, more preeminent than all of that. Now look at verse 15, and then I'll quit. The woman said to her, said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst again, or that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Wrong motivations. She still didn't see it. You'll make this life, make my life easy. I don't want to come here every day in the heat of the day and at the, the, the sixth hour of the day when it's so hot. I don't want to come here and bring this water pot and have to haul it back. I want this water. Give it to me. She still couldn't see all the wrong reasons. Jesus is not here just to meet your immediate needs. Jesus is here to meet the spiritual need of separation from God. That's what he's here for. That's what you're here for. Now, she eventually left her water pot. Verse 28 says that she left her water pot. She got it. She got it. And when she got it, the village comes to see Jesus based on her word. When I first started this message off, when you guys gave me this, I thought, well, I'm going to preach on it. I think I even said it on the phone. Oh, it's a great evangelistic sermon. And I was going to teach on evangelism. I started off with the whole idea that you need to be like Jesus. <laughs> Engage with people. Sit down with people. Talk with people. But what I found is this. We are not Jesus. We're the woman. We're the woman. Hmm. And being the woman... You and I need to remember where we came from. Our horrible condition pre-Christ. If we remember that, then it makes the living water so much sweeter. If you remember where you came from, you don't have to have me stand up here and tell you, oh, you got to go tell everybody about Jesus. If you remember where you came from, that Jesus pursued you and found you and met you and changed you and gave you living water that wells up inside of you, guess what you're naturally going to do? You're going to leave your water pot and you're going to go find those and say, come and see this guy. You don't need me to tell you about evangelism, or at least you shouldn't. If I wouldn't get our... Um, Worship team to come up, please. Let me ask you a question this morning. Did you come here today 
drinking from Jacob's well. I can affirmatively say that Jesus has pursued you. He is pursuing you. He has pursued you here today. You are not here of your own choice. Jesus is pursuing. Will you allow the blinders to fall from your eyes, drop your water pot, and meet Jesus? Let's pray together. Father, in these moments that we have, I pray that we respond in a way that honors you. Pray that there might be some here that eternity changes because you've sought them out. I pray for the ones who are hurting, still carrying their load of shame and guilt. I pray that you would help them to see that the Savior has sought them. That the well of Jesus is so much better than the Jacob's well. Father, I pray that you would do your eternal work in us. May you take your place of preeminence and prominence. Do your, your bidding as you call some to yourself. Pray for those of us who have forgotten where we came from and what you've done. I pray that you would help us to remember deeply. And in remembering, may we, uh, Father, begin to tell. We pray these things now in the name of Jesus.